0: okay idiot barbus is here it is uh wednesday december 21st 2016 man we are four days well three days in a wake up right so thursday friday saturday and and, uh, then there's the wake up on christmas as we say in the military three days in a wake up from christmas man it's almost here hope you did your shopping or if you do that kind of thing uh happy holidays to everyone no matter what you celebrate during this holiday season uh my name is luke thomas i don't even know where i'm going with that this is the promotional my practice live chat here on mmafighting.com hope you're doing well appreciate you guys tuning in we'll do this for about 90 minutes or so we'll talk about the latest and greatest in mixed martial arts i do not have soda today i've been really good about soda recently every time i go to vegas and i'm going on monday it's a disaster but right now i got my you see this is the this is the nation's capital this is where all the magic happens god damn that's hot i got green tea I've been drinking a lot of green tea recently, but I'm going to Vegas on Monday, so that probably means I'm going to get back on the soda thing. Kill me. Okay. Let's get this going. Take a look at your questions inside the live thread here on MMAfighting.com. If you want to get me a question on Twitter, you may do so uh, using the hashtag chatrappers. You can follow me on Twitter at SBNLukeThomas. Okay. Okay. Without further ado, uh, by the way, I know I was going to have t-shirts before Christmas. I thought I was. Uh, that process is still fully in motion, but probably not going to be here before Christmas. I mean, they might be, but it's unlikely. But I posted the logo in the uh, bottom of the thread, if you want to take a look at it. It's not a mock-up of the shirt, but it's the logo. I, I No, no one believes me, and that's f- <laughs> that's fine, but they are going to be here Um it's a thing. All right. Let's do this. Um last UFC event of the year coming up, man. Looking forward to that. All right. First question, true false. There's 11 of these. All right. Page and Sage are going to find it difficult. To develop as fighters, since their massive popularity conflicts with their inexperience. Well, it depends entirely on the matchmaking. If you can get away with matching them with someone relative to their level uh, in bigger roles, then no. But that seems unlikely. You know, how many Francisco Trevinos can they give Sage Northcutt in in starring roles, feature co main or main? Um, probably not many you know, Mickey Gall worked out in the sense that it was a fight at welterweight, but it was a guy with not a ton of experience. So, um, but look, the truth of the matter is they're trying to get these people early and they're trying to make them stars earlier. Um, at least for the ones that have that kind of ability. Um, but MMA is hard, <laughs> not, not many fight. And Barbus is just being unbelievably stupid. Not many fighters can get good at young ages. And, you know, I feel like we're getting a little bit into, excuse me, I feel like we're getting a little bit into Japanese MMA territory where we know we're not quite taking Olympic gold medalists and giving them, you know, reigning champions or something like that of the division. But um, they're notorious for not building their prospects correctly by just feeding them to the wolves. Uh, We're not exactly doing that, but we're in some sort of middle ground where, Sage North got 20. Like, the idea to me that he could be very good at one day seems quite reasonable, but at the path he's on, it's just too much for him right now. Same with Paige Van Zandt. Um, She's good. She hustles. But I don't feel like she's been forced to grapple in enough situations where um, she has to think strategically over the long-term play. You know, I, I interviewed Michelle Waterston yesterday, and I was asking her about that head and arm throw she hit in the clinch. And I was asking her, like, how did you set it up? Like, what, what were you looking at? when? What, what, what did you feel? Because I looked on tape, and she moved her hips to the side at an angle, which she needed to fit in. She came back, and there was nothing that Michelle or um, Paige didn't change anything. And so I was like, is it, is it because you checked your hips and nothing happened? She was like, partly. Well, the other part was, we just knew that she cares about defense. So if you can get her going with the hands, right? She's popping them, she's popping them, she's coming in, she's coming in. Then you know there's going to be no defense. So they just waited, 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 waited. Checked the hips, waited, waited through it. Just like that. Like you, she, she shouldn't be fighting opponents who can do that to her uh at this stage cuz she's not she's like super not ready for that. Like if you're getting finished in less than 4 minutes and not even there was nothing accidental about it, you know. And if you go back and watch the Monday Morning Analyst, you'll see that there's a moment there, and she even talked about it, where she almost bailed to mount because you can see there was an opening there in the rear naked choke application. Like there was, there was a second there where Michelle Waterson lost it, and um, if Paige had recognized that, she could have just slid her back to the mat and at least, you know, maybe she would have been in mount. But that's better than being choked, uh, and she didn't even recognize it, you know. And I, I, again, these things are hard to do. I'm not, I'm not stating them like they're very easy. Uh, they are difficult, but that's the level of that's the level of the sport that they want to compete at, and they're clearly not there. Um, this is not a way to say that they won't get there, but you know, Hey, stop, Barbus, you are unbelievable. <laughs> Give me just a second. He's doing something that's really. Uh, Amazing. Sorry! Oh, God. Farbis. You are a very special character. Let me say that. All right, sorry about that. He is an idiot in ways I can barely describe. All right, moving on. It's surprising how easily Northcutt gets taken down in fights, given how athletic he is. No. Athleticism can help in takedown defense, but it's not, like, it's not, athleticism is not a form of takedown defense. It's odd that the UFC makes Conor fulfill all of his media obligations, but for some reason, Ronda doesn't have to. Well, he's got all of the big hitters up front here, huh? Um, I'm going to save that one for later. Cowboy versus Masvidal should be the main event on Fox instead of Shevchenko versus Pena. Well, it's interesting. Shevchenko versus Pena is back to that number one contenders model. Um, Although Cowboy versus Masvidal is not too far from it. Let's see. Masvidal, excuse me, Machida must be pulling his hair out knowing that both Jones and Lesnar got shorter suspensions than he did. Is that not amazing? Is that not amazing that Brock Lesnar got a shorter suspension than Machida did? For taking something that's about as powerful as this green tea that i'm about to take is that not absurd to you i know everyone's like you talk uh you ask questions about usada because you want to take steroids as even if i did take steroids and wanted to as if that would invalidate the level of the the nature of the critique itself uh no i asked questions about it because it got it got rammed through no one asked questions about it when it was getting rammed through because there was this cheerleading about how we're going to clean up the sport so clean, in fact, that apparently cyborg can just cheat below everyone's nose somehow, some way. But neither here nor there. Uh, and no one asked questions about whether or not there were some things that needed to get amended, about whether there were some things that needed to be changed. And um, and here we are. We have a case where Leota Machida took something you can buy next to melatonin at your local Walgreens or CVS. Uh, that bodybuilders don't even take because it has no real effect. Uh, that the science, at best, on or that it has a performance-enhancing value is shaky, and uh, you know <laughs> that subsequent research has shown that while it is listed as an anabolic agent, um, it, research past 2012 has shown it has absolutely no anabolic profile whatsoever. And he's going to be hemmed up for longer than Lesnar and Jones. Okay. That's if you're one of these uh, anti doping acolytes who have cheered you, Saad, oh, yeah, this is super great. You know, they might have a role to play. They might have a very important role to play. But there are absolutely critical and essential questions that need to get asked about what's happening. And uh, if you don't think it's absolutely insane, that Lyoto Machida got more of a punishment than Brock Lesnar. You are not capable of rational discussion. Well, I guess we should we should correct that for just a second. We don't know what Usada is going to give Brock Lesnar, so we're actually playing a little bit of a game here. But in the case of John Jones, even the negligence of Jones uh, to go take a gas station dick pill to me is still worse. So even if we left Lesnar out of it, right? Even if that NAC settlement that he got as irrelevant as it may wind up being for USADA, uh, even just what Jones did to me is infinitely worse than what Machida did. Seriously, if someone was like, what's a bigger deal in terms of enhancing what they can do in the gym um, or for whatever express sort of uh, athletic purpose that they're looking for, um, there's almost nothing you could tell me where I would be able to pick a creatine or even whey protein or... Jeez, I don't know. I mean, there's so many different kinds. Uh, something an Isotori makes or whatever. Cell Tech, I don't give a damn. Uh, you know, which is worse? That or which, is, which does more? That or, um, you know, uh, 7 keto DHEA? I'm going to pick the other one probably every time. I mean, we're talking about borderline placebo effect. It, <laughs> it's shocking, man. And he must be pulling his hair out. Yeah, maybe. It's strange that RDA wasn't willing to go to Ferguson's guard, considering he's a BJJ black belt who easily handled uh, Pettis' guard. No, not necessarily. Viacom will purchase World Series of Fighting after it goes bankrupt in 2017. It might purchase some of its assets. It's definitely not purchasing it uh, if it goes bankrupt. The harder to maintain. Excuse me. It's harder to maintain dominance in the lightweight division than it is in the heavyweight division. True. The rematch between George, excuse me, I am, I need some green tea. The rematch between JDS and Stefan Struve is a bizarre fight that makes no sense for either fighter. False. Cyborg could probably beat a couple of top 10 male bantamweights. Mm, False. Cruz owned Garbrandt when he said, I could buy a house with all the wins I have over your teammates. I don't know what owned means in this particular context, but yes, that was an excellent saying. Although they, they both had a couple of like, you know, what do you mean by that? Uh, I'm going to skip this one because I need more time to think about it. <sighs> Jesus, man, these are some weird questions to start. You know, what, let me go back to that Ronda one since we brought it up. We're already 15 minutes in. Uh, Let's talk about that Ronda thing for just a second. So it was reported, I forgot where I read it. Maybe it was on Bloody Elbow somewhere else, that she's not going to, and I had heard this weeks ago, um, uh, that she wasn't going to talk to the MMA media at all. In fact, we were bummed out about it because I'm flying out on Monday and there's no real reason because I'm told that nothing really kicks off on that fight week until Wednesday. You know, we thought everything was going to be pushed back to the Tuesday because the fight's on a Friday. But as I, and I'm not, I haven't confirmed this, but I'm, Basically told that's not really the case. Um, although I guess we'll see. Oh, okay. Uh, so, um, so we were bummed about that. So now I have this extra day in Vegas. If you want to hang out in Vegas on Tuesday, holler at me. I'll be in the weight room. I don't know what else to do with my life. But, uh, in any event, it was revealed that she worked out a deal ahead of time that the difference between what, you know, the, it is purported that the difference between her and Connor, right? Connor was trying to just sort of abdicate these responsibilities on the fly. It is claimed and that she worked out a deal ahead of time where she wouldn't have to do these things to me. I, you know, on the one hand, people are like, this is, you know, how could she do that? i you know, if you can work out something in a deal, then you can work out something in a deal. Um, it's not, it's fine. Like, you negotiated it. There's no issue there. For me, the only thing I would say is, like, if, if, if what is reported is true, we have no confirmation of this. But let's, just, let's work with the assumption that it's true. What is so difficult about talking to the media such that you can't do it at all? short of being a member of the hand-picked Cognoscenti. By the way, if you are hand-picked by Rousey and her team, if it comes to that, like we allow them, we don't allow them, you need to ask a serious question about to what extent you are taking part in hagiography. You need to do that because you're probably going to be complicit in it to some extent, uh, even if it's unwitting. Right, there could be good people who are like, "Oh, we'll take you." Uh, you need to be careful about that, right? If if you end up being on that list, um, because I suspect that it comes with some conditions. To me, you know, I just can't believe it. You know, it's amazing. Ramona Shelburne from ESPN, when she does work for basketball um, or in various other capacities, in which she's reported, she's done really thorough, excellent, awesome work. She does hate geography for, for uh, Ronda Rousey. And I don't know why she does that, but she does that. And it's really uh, you know, disconcerting, might be a strong word, but disappointing is definitely one. But here's the bigger question for me like, what was the logic? What was the logic that was offered about why it wasn't okay for Connor to do that? Basically, what they said was, it's in your contract. You have to do it. Okay, fair enough but that it's your responsibility. You can't not promote a fight. And then there were these debates about, well, look at what he can do. Look, look at how he can promote a fight. Look at what he's already done in promoting this by simply not even being there. And so I'm wondering, okay, she, she managed to work it out where uh, she doesn't have to talk to any of us. And she's under no obligation to do so, especially if she can work out a deal. But sort of my question is, this goes back to the very definition contractually about what's reasonable and what's not reasonable right? A reasonable amount of promotion in the work. Um, is she doing a reasonable amount? I mean, she's a big enough star, but Connor's a big enough star. Wasn't he reasonably already meeting contractual demands by some of the things that he was doing? That's the part I didn't get. Remember, he said he would go to the New York presser, just not the Vegas presser. Um, so to me, it's like, it's not even clear that McGregor was out of compliance if what we're concerned about is a reasonable amount of promotion. and from And the other question you have to ask yourself is, Does she have any obligation to speak to me or Ariel or Ben Folks or uh, Heidi Fang or Steve Gofield or, you know, whoever, just pick, pick who it is. No, she has no obligation to speak to us, but I think you have to ask yourself about, you have to ask yourself, you know, uh, what do you have to believe about those people or that process? For it to be so anathema to your interests that you can't do it at all right i mean mayweather in the lead up to the pacquiao fight he certainly was the subject of a ton of hagiography but there was also some hard reporting about him and his domestic violence past rossi has done nothing wrong i mean she lost a fight but that's not she didn't commit some grievous act or something and she doesn't want to answer for that. And I, I suppose I understand that on some level. On the other level, I'm like, Mayweather didn't skip a beat. Like, he answered all of those questions. Now, he answered them poorly. He's still a scumbag. But he didn't shy away from many of it. Like, And they can be like, oh, well, they yanked those two women's credentials. I mean, I don't know what the issue was is with that. But I can tell you that no one ever said anything to me about any questions we ever asked about anything. Anything we had written, nothing. Nada. And that office, his PR office is here in DC. I know the ladies really well who run it. His 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 Swanson Communications is based in DC. It's it's uh it's it's by McPherson Square here in Washington, DC. Um they never said a thing. So it's just bizarre. It's truly bizarre. And I think it speaks to some kind of I mean, some have speculated it's insecurity. That's a decent theory. I don't know what else it could be. It's an antipathy towards us. Okay, fair enough. Uh, It's probably some of that, too. But to me, it's not that she wants to avoid the media necessarily. I can imagine it would be an onerous burden on some level. But that she wants absolute distance, except for any kind of hand-picked choice, that, to me, is where it gets really, really sketchy. All right. Fantasy matchups. Aldo versus Habib. Probably go with Habib. Pettis versus Poirier. Tough one. Maybe Pettis. Cowboy Lawler. I would go with Cowboy at this point. Brown versus Cote. I would go with Brown. Swanson versus the Korean Zombie. Swanson only because he's been active. Choi versus Stevens. Ooh. Stevens, I guess. Gastelum versus Whitaker. I'd still probably go Whitaker, but that's a tough fight. Kennedy versus Brunson. Brunson probably. But that's a tough one too. Circuno versus Shogun. Sirkanov is gonna just run over him. Lando versus Makachev. Lando. Probably. Still some questions about Lando's grappling, but probably. Derek Luce versus Nganu. I'd go with Nganu. Gall versus Dan Hardy. I'd probably still go with Dan Hardy. MS 13 versus Isis. Uh what does that stand for? Uh Marasalva Truka, I think that's what it stands for. Uh, I'll go with ISIS on that one. All right. Let's see here. Interviewing fighters. Have you ever interviewed either of the Diaz brothers? I've interviewed them both a lot. Are they hard or easy to interview? Uh, Like any other subject, it depends on their mood. They can be difficult, but like not in a i mean they're not jerry lewis y'all see that jerry lewis interview i mean it's one of the most incredible pieces of performance art i've ever seen in my life you know what was vegas like when'd you go to vegas 1947 what was vegas like back then it was exactly the same it was exactly the same wasn't a dusty cow town it was a dusty cow town genius uh and what are some of the hardest interviews hardest fighters to get interviews with other than ronda rousey um Connor besides Rhonda and Connor basically everyone else is accessible uh they're a little bit tougher to get but the the Diaz brothers you'll recall it's amazing all the work you're doing this life no one remembers um you'll recall I was on MMA Uncensored live and we had both Diaz brothers on at the same time and uh So that would count as one, but I've, I've, you know, I've interviewed them in person before on a number of occasions. Um, They're not the hardest, Uh, you know, in terms of like guys being difficult to get interviews with, that's not really ever an issue. The issue is more, you can get someone, but you're pulling blood from stone because they just don't have a lot to say, or they don't want to say a lot. You get a little bit of both these days. All right, let's try this green tea, shall we? It's okay. great. Right. Aldo versus Holloway. Can you do a quick breakdown of Aldo versus Holloway and gun up to your head? Who do you have winning? This is going to be a tough one. I feel like Holloway would win this. Um, if he was able to really get Aldo backing up, I really feel like that would be the, the ultimate objective that he would have. Um, Simply getting angles on Aldo is going to be so difficult to do. Even if you trick him, he's quick and athletic. Uh, to me, it would be getting him to fight in a way where he has to really narrow his offense and in that predictability would be more manageable. Um, even taking it to the ground, to some extent, I think Holloway has decent takedowns, although, of course, uh, Aldo has you know insane level takedown defense. But I really think that would be the key. Uh, It's not that Aldo can't fight backing up, but he needs a little bit of space and time to really get going. Um, And if he waits for you in space encounters, as you saw against Frankie Edgar, that's trouble too. You actually have to get him moving backwards. I think that would be key. I just skipped the Lineker question because I want to think more about it. Let's see. Why is it universally accepted for the most part when an NFL player celebrates a touchdown pass, but if a baseball player hits a home run and celebrates, is treated like he is showing up the pitcher and treats it as disrespectful because baseball is an old sport with ancient rules and traditions. It has a very old fan base with a very old-fashioned idea about what constitutes... Uh, Appropriate sportsmanship. Nate Diaz, what is next for Nate Diaz? More time off until he gets a counter fight, I suspect. Do you think he will fight again? If so, when will it happen? Who do you think you will fight? There you go. Let's see. This is an interesting question. Uh, Luke, what's up? I hear I keep hearing people say that Page and Sage are overrated. I don't believe that's the case. I think they are both young. Uh, It is both the case. They're both young and overrated. When they were brought up, everyone was like, there were some people, I think, correctly assessing, hey, these guys, are they've they've got some ability, but this is a little bit um, too much for them. And there were other people being like, for example, when Brian Barberina submitted uh, Sage Northcutt and everyone was going, well, you know, he got him, you know, he would tap from half guard and one half of the audience is like, dude, how do you tap to that choke from half guard? And the other half is saying, um, no, it was like, you know, uh, it was like a Vaughn flu choke, which you can get from, from half guard too. It wasn't a Vaughn flu choke. Cause if you go back and watch the Monday morning analyst, the hand that he was getting pressed against him, this one was, uh, not covered that has to be covered for that to be a Vaughn flu choke. Uh, and it wasn't, it was, he just got submitted from a head and arm triangle from half guard that's what it was all right sure it was tight and if it's tight you got to tap but the point being was there were people who were also as much as there were like sober critics of what was going on there was an equally drunk set of uh spectators suggesting that no no they actually are quite good yes they need some level of development but they'll be there momentarily or something i think what you're seeing now is like categorically they are very far behind um to the point where if it wasn't for any kind of ability to deliver on uh, ratings or some other kind of you know um, entertainment metric they wouldn't be there at all and I, I think that's probably true now maybe maybe uh, Paige Van Zant would but just at a, at, a, at, a, at a lower level but Sage Northcutt is deeply unprepared for the Ultimate Fighting Championship very much unprepared nothing wrong with that he's only 20 but not ready not ready uh, and the fact that some people were cheerleading that as like a momentary blip i think you're now seeing as uh deeply incorrect so to that extent they are overrated but on the other hand if you if you have a sober assessment you've known this whole time that they needed more time to develop they they were clearly weren't ready and so this is more a reflection of that fact than some kind of new revelation Diaz bros on ellen I saw a repeat of Ellen the other day on TV. It was the one where Ronda Rousey was on. What do you think will ever happen if Nick or Nate Diaz went on there? What do you think would happen? It's a very interesting and weirdly worded question. Um, It would be terrible TV or painfully awkward TV, in which case it could be great TV. I don't know. I wouldn't watch, though. Uriah Faber's impact on mixed martial arts. Hey, Luke, Uriah Faber's performance over the weekend was spectacular. It was great to see Uriah look like his old self. I wouldn't agree that's what he did. And retire on his own terms in his farewell fight in Sacramento. He did do that. Well, it's a shame to see Faber go, the sport of MMA has forever changed because of his influence. Can you please sum up Faber's contribution to mixed martial arts and how he shaped the sport in the UFC for modern fighters for, uh, for modern fighters of today? Um. This is something I did a lot of work on my radio show about. I had a couple of guests on who could talk about this. First of all, I don't think he looked like his old self. Uh, I think he partly looked like uh, the way he used to look. I think he's still, obviously, you can see a pretty adept, strong grappler. Um, I mentioned this on the Monday Morning Analyst as well. He's got this real signature style of grappling where he can get a takedown and move into side control. He doesn't try to hammer you flat in side control. He's happy to let you roll because in that scrambly space... Um, he's really talented. He can do a lot. So I think you saw some of that. Um, right. That's how how he became a master of the guillotine or essentially the work from the front headlock anyway. Although he had a lot of chokes from the back too, but you get the idea. So, uh, partly you saw that, but I think what you also saw was like labored punches. You know, they were quick sometimes, but they were slow sometimes. And some of his setups worked great against Brad Pickett, but Brad Pickett's lost five of his last six. So we're not like it's, He's a very talented competitor, but he is certainly uh, in some territory where he needs to deeply consider how longer how much longer he wants to do this if not outright retire. Um, okay, so so there's that. But overall, I thought his grappling looked pretty good, right? I thought it was there was a lot there to enjoy. He went out top 10, maybe top five in the division. that's pretty great. Um, so that part's good. as a matter of clarification though, I don't think he looked like vintage. Uriah Hall, I think he looked, or Uriah Faber, I think he looked uh, very, very good in parts, and you could see there was some decline in some other parts, but not, not enough to really matter in the end. As far as contributions, I mean, I think these are all pretty well told. There's a debate about to what extent he was some sort of like star that moved the sport or generated this massive amount of attention. He certainly is no Conor McGregor, Um, but you know, I think certainly he was one of the pillars of the development of mixed martial arts in the state of Sacramento. Um, I still believe that Team Alpha Male is not going to be the last camp built around guys of a similar size and skill set, right? Get a bunch of wrestle boxers who are all roughly 155 or lower and have them all train together. I think that that is not a fleeting idea that someone else is going to pick up on that in some other kind of capacity. I'm not sure what, but you're going to see a lot of that even in small doses, you know, especially if you're a heavyweight. It's hard to get other heavyweights to train with. Um, so I think, I think that part was kind of innovative. Um, but of course, you know, I think, look, the biggest one is forming an identity, uh, a known and marketable identity, um, not being shy of cameras, not being shy of confrontation, not being shy of what media can do for you, trying to be an entrepreneur. And he's had some fits and starts there as well, but I think he's always sort of kept his foot on the gas pedal as it relates to that. And I think most people will tell you that he was part of some of the bigger early WEC fights. And it just appeared to be like a, you know, a a blueprint. Not so much that he reached the highest highs, but that if you see what Uriah Faber can do by forming an identity, tying it to a regional place, having a certain amount of uh, success in the cage, that this is this is a path that someone else could walk and potentially go even further. The idea that you know, remember the 155 division was at some point eliminated in the UFC. They eventually brought it back. Um, that they could have guys, you know, one or two weight classes, sometimes three, in this case three weight classes below that. Um, who could nevertheless turn out to be the fan favorites of a wide swath of hardcore and casual fan bases, he partly developed the idea that that was a possibility or something else to be done. I I think sometimes we overstate uh, some of his accomplishments. I think in some ways we understate some of his other ones, but that's basically what he contributed. Do you think after seeing Aldo knocked out in 13 seconds, people are forgetting how good he is? Partly, but I also feel like if you look at most of the complaints about Aldo, some are that he got, oh, well, he lost in 13 seconds. Um, But a lot of the other ones are how annoying he is to deal with. That he pulls out of fights, that he doesn't want to do media, uh, he won't speak English, something like that. Most of the complaints center on that. So I don't think that people have forgotten how good he is, although there's probably some of that, but what seems to be fresher in people's minds are how much they are still bothered by him, for for better or for worse. Is GSP still in the UFC USADA testing pool? As far as I understand it, he is. Uh, Nick Diaz versus Robbie Lawler 2. Any updates on this fight happening at UFC 209? None that I'm aware of. question about WWE and Rousey. Oh, God. The very idea is like... Makes me nauseous. Aldo. Luke, do you believe Aldo should be potentially getting a 155 interim belt opportunity? What on earth would they be doing that for? (laughs) They're just handing interim belts out now. Uh... You know, like it's a door prize on Black Friday. You know, first 50000 through the door, get one. Shocking. I don't know what they're thinking with that. Like, who care? I mean, what is the point of putting one there? Certainly, you could ask the same question about, you know, uh, what you call it, um, Holloway and, and uh, Pettis. But this seems even more absurd. Like, okay, McGregor might not have gone back to featherweight, and that made for some complicating factors that could have jumbled the mess. I don't think you need interim belt for the last one, but whatever. But he's at 155, and he's now saying he's only taking a Christmas break. Like, what could possibly be the reason that they need to give Aldo one? It's disheartening. Do you think the UFC decided to offer it to him because if Ferguson is playing hardball? They're probably all playing each other off of each other yeah why do you think the person they offered it to turned it down i don't know but this is a big thing that's come up oh so and so turned down a fight like this is some kind of scandal um fighters in any particular circumstance for a huge swath of very good reasons could turn down fights all you hear from the opponent is oh he turned it down You don't ever hear from that guy, or at least don't hear very often from that guy, why he turned it down. Maybe he didn't want to fight for peanuts. Maybe he has having trouble with his marriage and wants to fight closer to home. Maybe he has bills and needs to fight sooner. Maybe he doesn't have bills and wants to fight later. Maybe, I don't know, maybe there could be all kinds of reasons that seem entirely human, entirely understandable about why guys turn down fights. When you hear someone turn down a fight, that should be like, okay, and why? Why did he turn it down? If they got paid good money, they got paid on an appropriate timeline, if they're healthy, if they've got nothing else going on, or if that's the most important thing, then yeah, they're probably going to be more likely to take it. But like the act of turning down a fight itself is not some kind of bizar- you know, uh, unusual demonstration of cowardice. Every guy does it for a- in any number of very uh, good reasons. And however bad you think turning down fights is in the UFC, it's a thousand times worse than boxing. You know, these are professional fighters. This idea of I'll just fight anyone, anywhere, anytime. That's just lies they tell you. Almost none of them believe that. Almost none of them. They won't fight anyone, anywhere, anytime. They'll fight the right guy at the right time for the right amount of money. That's just how it goes. They have a finite amount of these things in them. That's it. And when it's over, they don't get any of them back, and they are going to be lesser versions of themselves as a consequence. So it's only human that they would turn down fights. And in some cases, they're very good, like, nay, excellent reasons to turn down fights. Man, I was doing some work for SiriusXM. I had to re- record uh, a Christmas special, and we were talking about some of the best fights of the year. And I went back, and I just listened to the audio. Try this sometime. Go back and listen to the audio. No visual the audio of the fourth and fifth rounds of Condit versus Lawler. Just listen to it. Listen to how shocked everyone is at what they're looking at as it's happening. You can do the same to some extent with Duho Choi and, and Cub Swanson. Man, those guys, I could be wrong about this. Look what happened to Condit afterwards. Not only did he lose to Maya, no shame in doing that, but he got buzzed with a shot. He said nor, ordinarily never would have bothered him. Look what happened to Robbie Lawler after that fight he loses to Tyron Woodley in less than a round i don't i think fundamentally those guys on that day left a piece of themselves in that ring and you could say that about just about any fight but they really left a piece of themselves in that cage after that night you know they're supposed to show up anytime anywhere any place no no <laughs> that's not how this works man you you start with a full tank of gas and you just bleed it until there's no more left, or however much you're willing to just walk away with. But you don't ever get to refill it. It just drains. And so this idea, like, oh, so-and-so turned down a fight. Aldo turned down a fight, excuse me, Aldo's turned down fights because he busted a rib. Oh, what's wrong with him? You You got a busted rib, pussy? Yes, he has a busted rib. You know how painful that is? That's insanely painful. And even if it wasn't painful, it would hinder his ability to compete. That's what you want. You want some cheap, crappy version up there fighting like a lesser guy? That's not what this is about. And he can get hurt even worse as a consequence. He can't even defend himself properly. That's what you want. And you have Max Holloway, who's on an incredible win streak. Like, how many tough guys does Max Holloway have to fight and defeat before he's allowed to have a swollen ankle? Hmm? 50? 100? When does that happen? Like These guys are doing incredibly dangerous, damaging things six days a week. (laughs) If Aldo has to pull out of a fight because his ribs are jacked, that's just how it goes. If Max Holloway says he wants to fight Aldo and then can't because he wakes up the next day with a swollen ankle, I'm inclined to believe him. I'm inclined to believe him. These guys are not cowards. They might be risk assessors but they're not cowards so the next time you hear someone like well he turned down a fight yeah probably had a good-ass reason to very rarely does someone turn down a fight and it makes no sense do or false Luke Thomas would sit out of a bowl game well if Luke Thomas was Christian McCaffrey, he would. I mean, I mean, the Sun Bowl, really. They're going to give this kid a hard time because he doesn't want to play in the mother-effing Sun Bowl. I'd play... <laughs> I can't even say it. I can't even say it. I'll get in trouble. Uh... Luke, do you think the UFC would even consider adding the clause he wants? They have said no before, so I doubt it. I doubt it too. The hell? I doubt that they would do that. I severely, sincerely doubt it. Um, they might, but I just feel like they don't want to get leveraged. I think they feel like if they can do that, some other guy might try to add something else to their own contract. They basically believe that USADA is enough. Uh, I think it's more than enough. So, no, I don't think they will. But they also want him out there. I think what they're doing is probably trying to put public pressure on him because they're like, oh, he seems to be set to fight Alistair Overeem. And then Mark Hunt's like, uh, yeah, if you add it to the contract. I said yes has to like four guys already if you add that to the contract. Um, so it seems to me like they might be like leaning on him to do something about it. We'll see. Alright, rapid fire. These better be good. Oh god, they're not. I'll skip the first one because it's terrible. Second one's also terrible. Third one's terrible. Uh fantasy matchups. These are terrible questions. <laughs> uh, I'm not I can't I literally can't answer any of them they're all bad uh gall okay luke i think the ufc should match mickey gall up in the future i think if they build him up the right he could be a star because he has some skills on the mic if he can improve he can become a great fighter he would have the package can you see him going a lot further i could um i don't know that i see necessarily championship material from him but it'll be curious to see his development it's hard to say four fights in who knows this is going to be a tough one because you're right, he does have a big mouth. Um and they can use him in some interesting spaces, but you know, he says he wants this and on the right night he can beat anyone in the world. I think on the ground he is definitely UFC level, which means to some extent he is fully UFC level, right? If you can win enough on the ground, well, then you can win enough to make it happen. So I think on the ground he is ready to rock basically. I mean, he can get he can get better, but he has a lot of tools on the ground. I like his ground game a lot. think he's got good patience he's got good passes he has good attacks um he just really sort of it just has there's a nimbleness to his ground game that I really like stand up I didn't see a whole lot to like there that one thing I did like was Sage had the underhook he had the overhook and he wrenched him forward and then threw him into the punch that was beautiful love that so he gets creative over there but he got tagged on that one too it's just that his punch landed harder so I don't know. I don't know how it's going to go. Um, they need to match up with somebody not that great. The Dan Hardy one to me was interesting because Dan's been off a long time, but Dan's still pretty good. So maybe, I don't know what they were thinking. But his ground game will keep him safe. But if he fights someone who could stop the takedown and he's forced to exchange on the feet, I don't like his chances too much. Or if you find someone on the ground who can neutralize him on the ground, um, I think he'd be in trouble. I don't know that he responds to physical punishment all that well. And when I say, I don't know, I'm literally saying that, like, I don't actually know. I'd be curious to see how it goes. Dan Henderson or Conor McGregor? Uh, I got into MMA a little bit after Dan Henderson won his two pride belts and never really grasped how impressive it was. When Henderson was a two belt champ, how did the MMA community react back then? Did it seem as big of an achievement as McGregor's? No, and in your opinion, is it one or more? Is it is one more impressive than the other? Um. It, well, I mean, it's impressive no matter what. But like, let's go look at Dan Henderson's record at the time. I remember uh, Frank Trigg was on the call for that event and was blown away by it. Now, I think Frank had trained with him for a time. But Team Quest, if I'm not mistaken, or at least um, Rico Ciparelli's Raw Team. But this was when he did that. So this was his record. All right. So in 2014, he beat Kazuhiro Nakamura um, off a shoulder injury, but still. Then he beats Yuki Kondo. Then he lost to Little Nog. Okay. Uh, Let's see. Then he beats Ryo Chonin Akihiro Gono. Stops them both. Same night. That's pretty big. Then this is the big one. He, in the fight, you could argue he lost. He he beats Marillo Bustamante, and he won the welterweight championship then, which is the middleweight one. Then he beats Kazuo Misaki. Then he loses to Kazuo Misaki. Fights Vitor Belfort in Las Vegas. Fights vanderlei Silva in Las Vegas, probably thirty-two and thirty-three, and then that was when he beat vanderlei Silva. So like, um, during this time, I guess you know he only had the masaki loss in between. And he was beating some decent guys. Bustamante would be the biggest one for me, and then Belfort. But Belfort was a that this was like a low point in his career. And then the Silva one was big, uh, but Silva I think was, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, and I might be, I might be mistaken. Uh, that was yeah, that was after. I mean, that was let's see, October, November, December, January, February. That was five months after Krokop head kick, head kick KO'd him. So, like, was he really himself? So, like, it's not like you – I mean, if you want to, you can pick holes in anyone's resume. But the point being was it wasn't like he had this, to use a term we talk about all the time, the sustained dominance of two weight classes. It was just more a matter of convenience. Many um, of the winner for Vitor Belfort, which looked good. and the, But the one over Bustamante was, I think, a little bit controversial. Um, and he had some of the losses in between them. He couldn't beat Misaki two times in a row. Um So that was a bit of a problem. Now, the Garbaka hitman was a big deal back then, but you get the idea. It wasn't like, you know, anytime you get these two-weight world champions, I keep saying it, like, I don't know what's the hardest thing to do in MMA. Maybe it's what Conor McGregor's doing. I think it's an open question. But my hunch is just that beating contender after contender is much, much more difficult because you're seeing that, like, it can be the most surprising guy that comes out of nowhere that really gives you a lot of trouble rather than, you know, sort of taking these all-star fights at these all-star moments. Um, They're both pretty, pretty difficult to do. But just to answer your question, historically, it was definitely viewed as very, very impressive. Um, But it didn't carry nearly the same amount of cachet, even though he'd won in in, uh, Vegas at the time. And you'll recall that he went to the UFC, I believe, directly after the Vanderlei fight, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Yes, he did. And then he lost both titles lineally, essentially back-to-back. He fought Silva and got finished fought Rampage on TV and lost. So then it was like he couldn't keep either of them, which sort of feeds that point. Like if getting those two titles isn't, I mean, it's uh, so so very difficult. But I still feel like, you know, that consistency about how hard it is to beat all those contenders in a row is much more difficult. But be that as it may, to answer your question, McGregor's is considered, and I think should be, because I think, yeah, he beat tougher guys to do it. Uh, It's considered a bigger achievement and is much more noteworthy, Uh, but it was a big deal for Dan. It was a big deal for Dan. Did you watch Big John's new rules explanation? I didn't, but I, I think I know them. He went over something you mentioned previously about uh, Josh Thompson versus Ben Henderson, about how a fighter who is defending submissions for most of the round, that fighter should not be rewarded for the success of defending those strikes because they were ineffective offensively. Right, well, like, defense is its own reward. If you block a punch, the judges don't reward you for that. The reward is the fact that the punch didn't land. If I attempt a takedown on you, Uh, And I, and I, you stuff it. The reward is not that the judge goes, Hmm, he stuffed a takedown. Very good. It is that you don't now have to be worried about taking down for that moment, but there's no, it doesn't, it doesn't, they don't judge the, how insane your defense is. The fact that you don't get hit or don't get taken down or don't get submitted is the reward. Almost like what is the reward for being virtuous? You get to be virtuous virtue is its own reward it's kind of like that something i remember you describing in detail once before now that kind of thought process will be applied for those who haven't seen it here's a quick recap heel kicks to the kidneys legal grabbing the clavicle legal god who would grab your clavicle yuck fingers toward opponent's face illegal grounded fighter any body part feet not hands and ground uh excuse me any body part not feet hands on the ground Judging the winner by impact of the levels of criteria if undecided then goes to the next level of criteria, not criteria, not an overall assessment. So that means if striking and grappling are roughly equal, then you go to offensive aggressiveness, cage control, and yada, yada, yada. Uh, 10-8 rounds are the three Ds. Damage and domination in a round should be scored 10-8. Damage or domination with long duration should be scored uh, a 10-8. There you go. Lineker versus Dotson with this new criteria. Do you think Dotson would have been given the nod over Lineker or would have been unanimous for Lineker? Should have been already. I don't think you need the new criteria. He got Lineker got outstruck. Pretty simple. Uh Watterson. Hey Luke, who should be next for Michelle Waterson after her win? Coach Winks said he believes she is probably one win away from the title. Namayuna said she wants to fight. Would you want that fight next? I would love that fight. Um Let me look up something here real quickly. That's a great idea. Really like it. See here. So right now, Michelle Watterson's seven. Above her is Tisha Torres. Jessica Andrade doesn't have a fight, so maybe they could match those two up. Rose Nama Yunus is there. Carla Esparza is still there. Karolina Kovovich is there. To me, the Esparza fight would make sense if they wanted to do that. The Andrade fight would make sense, or um, the Namajunas fight. Either three of those, any of those three would would be would be great. She looks sharp, man. She had the head and arm throw down. She had the scramble off the tie-up down. She had to switch sides with the body triangle. She almost lost it, the rear naked choke at one point. You can check the Monday Morning Analyst out for that, but she did good. She did really good. Luke, who is more likely to fight for a title one day, Paige or Sage? I find either of them to be terribly unlikely to do so, but if I had to guess, Paige, because the path to get there is significantly easier, and she's already a bigger star. Uh, Let's see. UFC 207. Luke, what are your predictions for Velasquez-Verdum, Cruz versus Garbrandt, Nunes versus Rousey? I guess you'll just have to tune into the Luke Thomas show next week, huh? Um... I'm leaving Cruz, though. I'll tell you that much. How do you think the co-main event will go? Well, I think Cruz might get in a little bit of trouble early, but I think eventually we'll probably pick Garbrandt apart. But I think early Garbrandt is going to be a storm. And there might be a lot, a lot more wrestling involved in this one, too, which would be interesting to note. And if we, for a moment, don't consider Ronda's mental health issues as a factor, Just judging by her and Amanda's skill set, who do you see winning? Well, in that particular case, I'd probably lean Rhonda. but I really wonder if some of the things that Amanda Nunes has said about the fact that she has sort of like invested in each camp, a little bit of things towards getting ready for Rhonda in that eventuality and that the chickens are coming home to roost, that she can handle a judo player, that she will have good responses. She is a jiu-jitsu black belt. I don't know what kind of jiu-jitsu black belt she is, which is to say not good or bad. Of course, she's probably quite good. But, like, what her game looks like in jiu jitsu, that tells you a lot as well. Um, but, um, you know, there's just, look, I talk about this all the time. I mention this fairly, fairly often. What is one of the great things about fighting? Uh, a lot of different ways to answer that question. But for me, it is that it largely serves as a fact finding mission. It is a time when, um, Certainly, you can take the wrong lesson from the facts, but I fundamentally believe it is an authentic human experience that can tell you quite a bit about pecking order, about courage, about skills, about vision, about lots of things. Every time a new event happens and the results come in, the universe as we know it is kind of rewritten. Even if our assumptions about who was going to win and lose is correct, sometimes the method by which they get there it makes us redefine and and rethink things. And so what UFC 207 can do is answer so many questions. Like What has the last year of Ronda's life been about, at least insofar as we're concerned? Now I'm sure she had a very different perspective, but from our vantage point. From our vantage point, it's basically been a series of unanswered questions Endless, oftentimes breathless speculation. Uh, it's just been this measure of complete uncertainty, and it, perhaps that will continue. It's not the case that every fight offers this, you know, validation of a worldview or repudiation of a worldview. But what they do routinely offer is some kind of concrete idea about the world that all the speculation in the world can't um, can't change or or can be confirmed by. And I'm very curious to see what these answers are. Uh, Paige Van Zandt, on the MMA Hour last week, Paige Van Zandt said she never watched UFC 205 or 206 because she was training. The champion in her division fought on UFC 205. Surely it would have been beneficial to watch Joanna. She just seemed like she had a lack of interest in it. That's like Ronaldo never watching Messi. Why wouldn't you want to learn from the best? Uh. That is nothing like watching that that is nothing like Ronaldo never watching Messi. Ronaldo and Messi at a minimum, at a bare minimum, have to play each other uh several times a year. Uh, sometimes more than that. They are current contemporaries. He just won the Ballon d'Or, right? Arguably Europe's greatest ever player, and Messi, arguably, you know, one of South America's best, if not the best, whatever you want to say about it. Like they're they're neck and neck with each other, two of the two of the titans of world soccer, existing at the same time. Paige Van Zant can watch 205 on Fight Pass at any point in the future, to the extent that that is relevant. Would it be beneficial? Sure. What's more beneficial: taking time out to watch 205 or getting your ass in the gym and training? That's a very easy call. It's getting your ass in the gym and training. It's not that watching it is somehow unbeneficial, but. If you got your eye on the prize, you're in the gym focusing on Michelle Waterson. You're not really worried too much about what Joanna can do. Joanna is so far advanced, and their paths could not be more divergent at this point. She absolutely made the right call in not watching. Yeah, Rhonda and the MMA media. Apparently, Rhonda will have no intention to speak or do interviews with the MMA media. Aren't we just terrible? We turned our back on her. <laughs> Does that mean she won't be doing all the usual stuff other fighters are obligated to do during media week? I have heard she won't be doing much. She certainly won't be doing any scrums. I can tell you that. She might be doing interviews with Ramona Shelburne, whoever she handpicks. I'm assuming, and I don't know this to be the case, but what I heard was like she was definitely not doing the press conference. She's definitely going to do the stare down at the weigh-ins. Beyond that, I haven't heard anything. So I'm assuming she's going to do the open workout, only because that's more of a fan thing. And she just won't talk to us, which is hilarious. I mean, can you imagine, like, how much you have to hate us to do that? Takes all kinds, I guess. Um, but no, I've... I've uh, All I know is that she'll be doing the... All I know. All I have heard is she'll be doing the face-offs at the weigh-ins, the ceremonial ones, and then... Uh, uh, No press conference. That's all I've heard. Aldo hints that Habib turned down a fight. Aldo said that he was offered the interim lightweight shot. God, why do we need an interim belt? And one fighter's manager, Father, turned it down, implying that it was Habib. What the hell is going on? Once again, refer you back to the conversation about 20 minutes ago. Perhaps Habib has a very good reason for not wanting to take that fight. Perhaps there is some issue with money involved. Perhaps it is the timing. He didn't want to fight in Brooklyn. I'm not saying that's what it is. I'm just sort of pointing it out. Perhaps there is some issue with he feels like Ferguson is the guy I need to beat to get to McGregor, not Aldo. Why would I need to fight Aldo? He's the 145 champ. Just stay there. We don't know we really don't know so with that being said i don't know what the answer is but i do know this i guarantee that there is probably some kind of reason hidden there that makes a lot of sense these are rational actors for the most part trying to navigate careers with minimal leveraging power that's that's what i suspect Maybe it has something to do with the fact that he already accepted a fight with Ferguson Ferguson, and doesn't want to be played again, so some other fight can be made where where he's getting used. I don't don't know. I don't know. Uh, Look, until recently, most of the ads for UFC 207 have focused on Ronda and very little attention to the other fighters on the card. That is true. I understand that Ronda is a huge star. Most of the casual MMA fans know her and will be the UFC's best bet on receiving higher pay-per-view numbers. That is also true. But could this be a conflict of interest with the UFC's owners, WMEING, and G, since she is also represented by them as a management team? Then how would there not be a conflict of interest when dealing with fighters from other managements? GSP, for example. I just see this as a slippery slope. Either direction they go uh it's not really a slippery slope i mean this is a very solvable problem just do the job correctly let's talk about that because joe rogan put up those tweets over the weekend i don't know how you could possibly disagree with them there is of course every i mean you could literally get on twitter in mma and you could say the sky is blue and there's someone up there who's going to be like no it's not and they won't even give you some sort of like scientific explanation for why it's actually green but our eyes perceive it as blue They'll just tell you something uh, idiotic. Uh, they'll be in the the current version of idiocy running rampant with this argument is the version of all well, they 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 what they're doing for Ronda they do for everyone, uh, which is absolutely not the case whatsoever. Um, there is no champion uh, or no elite fighter who has had their loss scrubbed from subsequent uh, promos in the way that hers has. I mean, it's like it didn't even happen. It's like this Ronda versus the world when it's like all that happened was you lost. Um, no one else has been spared that treatment. But she did. Maybe it's something she negotiated. I don't know. But again, the question is not whether she negotiated. The question is what what do you have to feel about something to want to negotiate that out? I'm speculating here. But let's sort of stick to the, the uh, idea. Um, of course, it's a conflict, at least, or at least if it's not a conflict, you are certainly well within your right to speculate about whether it is. This is the problem with WMEIMG not ever really addressing any of these issues. They leave this open room for speculation, and perhaps they would give an answer that wouldn't satisfy you. But nevertheless, leaving it unanswered absolutely fosters this level of uh, curiosity about what's actually happening here. Moreover, I had people defending this thing being like, well, what should they do? Oh, I don't know. It's not like we're all confused that Ronda is the A-side. There is an A-side and there is a B-side and she is the A-side. This is not up for debate. We are not saying that uh, Amanda Nunes requires equal treatment. We are not suggesting that she needs to be in any of these promos on a 50-50 basis. What we are asking is why is she basically eliminated from them? Why is there virtually, except for that little face-off photo at the end, why is there virtually no mention of her? Right? Because this doesn't even strategically make sense. By it's not a zero-sum game. Now it would be if you were like making it ninety percent about Amanda and ten percent about Rhonda. You might be actually doing some damage. But if you're going 80-20, 90-10 in terms of who gets the most amount of attention or footage in in one of these three-minute promos, whatever the case may be, you're not taking away from what Ronda contributes. And you're also, in fact, arguably could be contributing. Not that Amanda Nunes by by herself as some name is going to sell, but as a threat to Rousey to get Rousey or people who are interested in what Rousey is doing more interested. Yes, that is certainly possible. Moreover, and I know this might seem... You know, unlikely to some, but there is a possibility where Amanda Nunez wins. And if she wins and you have not set yourself up to pivot off any kind of previous promotion, that is going to backfire in the end. You are not maximizing your resources in any capacity whatsoever. You may find the fact or you may find the idea rather of uh, Amanda Nunez winning to be remote, but this is nevertheless some kind of contingency you have to plan for. This is not a sport. Uh, where the best-laid plans of mice and men go unobstructed. This is where the MMA gods hammer you when you least expect it or when you need them the most to not do it. They are a very cruel and capricious bunch. So so I don't understand it at all. It is not justifiable. It's not a zero-sum game. It is not as if promoting Amanda a little bit won't actually help your bottom line, and it's not as if promoting her a little bit in the event that she wins will somehow hurt you either. It's like literally well-known industry best practices being ignored for reasons that remain very much unclear to me. Um, There is no defense of it, other than I just don't want to see Amanda in it. Well, okay, I mean, if that's what you want, I mean, fine. But um, if you're trying to say, like, what makes the most business sense, because that's what this is, right? Then keeping Amanda out seems quite foolish. Now, in the end, if Rousey wins... It's not that won't be harmful, okay? So, you know, it's not like if she wins, there's still some lingering cost to it. But it's just it, it's a risk. It's a risk. It's a and it's a risk you don't necessarily even need to take. That's the part I don't get. Um, you you don't need to walk this line. They're forcing themselves to walk a line they don't need to. So, kind of crazy. As far as like. The questions about conflict of interest, I mean, yeah. Yeah, like all of this is um, well within the boundaries of um, fair curiosity. Hard to say and pinpoint exactly where it begins and ends or if it's actually a real thing, right, so to speak. But, um, the you know, the, the curiosity you might be experiencing about this is, I think, well, well placed. Uh, here's a good question that we should get to. Fighter of the year. Most people seem to be giving the nod to Bisping or Cruz, given he successfully defends his title at UFC 207. Okay. True to the buildup of next week's pay-per-view, is it possible that we're all overlooking Amanda Nunes? In 2016, she's beaten Valentina Shevchenko and demolished Misha Tate. If she were to finish Ronda Rousey in impressive fashion, how would she stack up against the Bisping or Cruz for 2017? You also can't sleep on... Stipe Miocic, Stipe Miocic had three wins in 2016. Andre Orlovsky, Fabricio Verdum, and then uh, who did he beat most recently? Alistair Overeem. So he beat a top contender, beat the champion, and then defended it, and he did all of those inside of one round each. Pretty impressive. Here's the truth about fighter of the year. I know there was this big debate on MMA Twitter last uh, yesterday about this person deserves it and that person, and it was precipitated by Mike Bond, MMA junkie, who also writes for Rolling Stone, picking Michael Bisping. Here is the truth about fighter of the year. Okay, Listen to me closely because no one else is going to tell you this except me, but I'm right. Uh, You can just pick whoever the fuck you want. That's the truth about it. There is no documented method or uh, transcendent logic about who you pick. You have to define your own criteria that sets out what makes up the fighter of the year, and then you have to consistently apply that logic across the various candidates. And the candidates can be whoever you want, quite frankly. Amanda Nunes, provided she does what you say she could, seems to me like a likely candidate. You might be saying, well, look, how can you pick candidates? Well, look, even basic reason should be able to tell you that it's not so confusing. Uh, We have no method of discovery such that anyone can pick anyone else. Like you couldn't pick Matt Brown, for example, although I suppose if you wanted to have some some sort of incoherent set of criteria, you could do that. But if you're sort of thinking rationally about like what constitutes success, what constitutes achievement, some of these candidates are going to make more sense than others. Donald Cerrone would be a dark horse candidate. Amanda Nunes would be a dark horse candidate. I've mentioned before, it is highly speculative, but if Cody Garbrandt wins against Dominic Cruz, he would be a candidate. Steve Miocic is a candidate. Of course, Connor McGregor is a candidate. Uh, Michael Bisping is a candidate, but basically what this all essentially amounts to is, I think that the idea of browbeating other people about who their choices are. Oh, how could you pick Stepe? How could you not pick Connor? How could you pick Michael Bisping? Um, there are great cases for all of them, but they all rest on a certain set of assumptions that no one has agreed upon. <laughs> no one's agreed upon it at all. It's not like it's like uh, state rules where here's the laid out criteria, who won this round by applying this criteria. And even then you might get a measure of debate, but certainly in certain cases it's going to be a lot easier to detect it than others. At least you have some kind of rational basis by which to make an assessment. For fighter of the year, people are literally making up their own criteria and then applying it and then being like, how can you not agree with me? Because I don't agree. Um, Maybe the larger perspective of what they achieved um, in the greater context of a fighter's responsibilities matters to you, right? Like, So so Conor McGregor not only winning two titles, um, avenging a loss, being part of these incredible events maybe that really says like like not only did he win in these other weight classes um he looked at the box office impact that he had this i mean how could you how could you say this is not important and i would agree that's a very compelling case i certainly would and then someone else could say look i mean heavyweights not the thickest division but this guy didn't just beat any old numbers he beat a contender he beat a guy that prior to that event and for Verdoom was you know on the precipice of being considered the greatest heavyweight ever if he could have you know certainly uh, won that title and moved on to to beating some other fighters and and he got starched in a round and then he goes on and he defends his title in his home hometown three wins all in the first round i mean that's uh, you know that's an incredible that's an incredible run and he did a great job drawing at the gate in cleveland uh I agree, that's a compelling argument, and then you can move to Michael Bisping, and you can look at Michael Bisping, and you can say, geez, man, he fought the greatest of all time, slightly off-peak, but okay, it got in his face, backed him up for 25 minutes, fought through adversity, and he won. He took that fight against Luke Brockle, UFC 199, on short notice, goes in there and beats him within a round, right? Stops him, and then he goes and he finds Dan Henderson in a tough rematch against the guy who had, you know knocked his block off previously. He redefined, truly, Michael Bisping redefined what – how we viewed him, what his skill set meant to us, uh, and 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 fulfilled his dream, it certainly became a 1st bout Hall of Famer uh, and one of the most important figures in the history of European MMA. Uh, that's a pretty – that's great. Yeah, that's a strong resume. And you can do this for all of them, and you can poke holes too. All I'm simply pointing out to you is, like, trying to have this debate about record of the year, fighter of the year, book of the year, movie of the year – Uh, sometimes there might be like one super standout contender who has achieved in such a way that his contemporaries can't even touch. And perhaps you might think that, uh, Conor McGregor is that way. I think the fact that he lost muddles that debate a little bit. Um, even though I agree, he took it on short notice far outside of his weight class. I think those are all mitigating factors. I'm just pointing out, unless there is some kind of consensus about the terms of the discussion, the discussion is guaranteed to not be very productive. Ronda Rousey's shadow boxing jab. I'm no fight expert, but to the untrained eye, something seems off with Ronda's jab shadow boxing. Can you give us a mini breakdown as to what she's doing wrong and how she can improve? I think there are a lot better guys that can do that than I could. Uh... seems a little loose, though, doesn't it? Uh, Okay, let's go to the tweet machine. It is 2.15. Let's see what we can dig up. Uh, Okay, Dominic Cruz, if he beats Cody, I think is the fighter of the year. And co-fighter of the year, definitely. FYI, DJ should have been 2013 fighter of the year. Okay. Who would you have Gunnar Nelson fight next? Ooh. That's a good one. What about Donald Cerrone? That'd be good, wouldn't it? I mean, I know he's the winner of Cerrone Masvidal. How about that? Um, will the UFC start to lose its integrity if they continue to book fights like they have been as of late? I don't know what you mean by their integrity. I mean, they've always done crazy things. Uh, this we'll have to see how far they take it. By the way, this is from this is live 54 minutes ago from Habib Nurmagomedov. Aldo says, referring to me, that I refuse to fight with him. Tell him that I do not bully the little. I want a real battle, and only Tony can give it to me. At this stage of my career, even if I win, I guess I think he means against Daniel Cormier. Fans will say that I have to fight with Tony, and I agree with them. I have spent my career in the UFC asking for the strongest opponents currently in the division. We must decide who is stronger, me or Tony. Without exception, all the fans and experts want to see this fight, and I want to give it to them. And you, Aldo, I advise you not to lose the respect of your fans, including me. Do not lose your head. Do not fall for the mind games of the UFC and be yourself. There you go. I would agree. If he doesn't fight Tony, he beats Aldo. Is he really deserving of a title at at 155? Um... Two o seven has four fights on the main card. Is this going to be the norm, or are they adding a fifth? That's a good question. I don't know what they're going to do. I think they're waiting to figure out what what they were going to do with that Andrade situation. And a yanker from the card today. Excuse me, no, they have five. It's Nunes, Rousey, Cruz, Garbrandt, Verdun, Velasquez, Dillashaw, Lineker, and then Smolka versus Borg. Sorry, I will think more about the Dillashaw, Lineker one next week. Do you think Ronda's attitude towards the MMA media will change if she wins? Boy, do I not care. Don't care. If she doesn't want to talk to us. It's fine by me. And the answer to the question is probably not, but I don't care. I Don't talk to us. It's quite all right. I will find a way to sleep through the night. Why are you coming home before the fight on Friday? Because the longer I stay in Las Vegas, the greater a chance there is of getting lice. Uh, why have Aldo fight for an interim 155 belt to set up a Conor bout? It makes no sense. Do you think Mark Hunt ends up actually fighting at UFC 209? And if not, do you think Overheem, Overeem will fight the winner of Brown Lewis? Man, that Mark Hunt one is so hard to tell. I don't know if he's going to get his way. I don't feel like he is, but I think he wants to keep fighting. I think he realizes he's older. I don't know what's going to happen with that one, man. If you miss weight, you lose 20% of your purse. Lose 10% if you get caught using PEDs to make weight. Fair? Probably not. What do you think the chances of a Diaz brother being on 209? Probably very strong. Of Faber, Tate, and Hendo, who will be the one most likely to have another MMA fight in your opinion? Tate. What current aspect of MMA landscape do you hope will change in 2017? I don't know what that means exactly. Uh... It's a good question, though, if if it means what I think it means. Um, Certainly, the amount of interim titles floating about needs to stop. And I also would really like to see... I don't really care who wins out. I don't care if it's MMAFA or MMAAA or PFA. I really don't care. But one of them... I would like to see one of them do that, only because then you might see substantive change. But... uh, it's impossible to impossible to say. By the way, someone's saying CFOTY means Comeback Fighter of the Year. Okay. Do you believe the UFC should create a D-League-type organization? No. Does Mickey Gall realize how crazy it is that the greatest of all time footballer, Cristiano, follows him on Instagram? Jesus, Cristiano follows Mickey Gall? Is that for real? Is that really real? If it is, it breaks my heart. You should follow me. I mean, there's no reason to follow me. Um, Why is Cyborg being vilified for asking for any extra month of prep? Can I say something real quickly about that? People were talking. I I agree with Joe Rogan's tweets completely about um, the UFC 207 ads. And basically, I agree with Joe like 95% of the time. But he made one thing. He was like, it's crazy that there's videos of uh, Cyborg doing deadlifts. She was doing block lifts, which are like deadlifts. But what they do is they raise up on the other side like an inch or two and what that forces you to do uh is it it, it essentially gets your posture not your posture but your back but your hips in the right position so that when they are gone you get a nice underneath pull not quite a squat but um that's what they're using they're called block pulls anyway uh or no excuse they're called deficit deadlifts what am i saying not block pulls at all out of my mind in any event whatever the case deficit block pulls doesn't matter uh, you're not going to put on size from deadlifts by magic. Like you can deadlift until your back breaks. If you're not eating a ton, you're not going to put on size. Like it's not a magic thing to gain muscle mass. Like if you're doing deadlifts at a caloric deficit, you're not going to put on size. It's not going to happen. So like the idea that she's out there doing, block pulls, deficit deadlifts, whatever deadlifts. Generally, um, if she's depending on what her caloric intake is, that matters. Not at all for what ultimately it could be. Um, what size she has to be at. So like I can go in there and start doing heavy bench. If I'm eating rabbit food all day, it's not going to matter. It's not going to matter at all. Um, So that's the issue like that. I mean, now maybe she is also eating a lot to match the heavy lifting. If that's the case, it's a different question. But the mere act of doing like if you think you're going to go to the gym and you're going to do a rich Piana eight arm, you know, uh, eight hour long arm workout, and then you're going to go and you're going to eat a salad with no protein in it um, with a total caloric intake of 450 calories for the day or even that afternoon, you're not going to put on any size ever. You will not get big. You will not put on muscle mass. You have to feed your body to do that. So the act of just doing deficit deadlifts doesn't mean she's in any way putting on size. Opinion on blathering blockhead Skip Bayless. Stop talking about him. Stop retweeting his stuff. Stop worrying about anything he says. The only way to combat him is not to talk about him, not even in a derogatory way. It is to merely ignore him. That is how you fix it. He is the homeless person ranting at the bus stop. You just ignore him. You just ignore him. Now, I don't want to mean to demean homeless people. They need help. But I just mean for that interaction where you're just waiting for your bus. You don't know what this guy's going to do. But he's not bothering anyone. You know, unless you're a social worker. somebody talking about you, the average person on the way to your office job. You just ignore him. He is ranting at the bus stop. He is trying to get you to look. He doesn't care if the look is a smile. He doesn't care if the look is a frown. He just wants a look. Don't give him one. Do you agree with Tyron Woodley that the UFC doesn't reach out to certain demographics? Definitely, I think that's true. Is it true that the bald dude on MMA uncensored you worked with never watched an MMA fight lol first of all never end your sentence with lol if you use lol as a punctuation mark you're probably a child predator you probably think "Ooh, yellow mustard this is mm, delicious can't wait to wash it down with this filthy rot gut ipa don't be that guy do not use lol as a punctuation mark if you see someone who does use lol as a punctuation mark they are essentially revealing that they read at a fifth grade level don't be that guy Not saying you read at a fifth grade level. I'm just giving you warning. From now on, if you end your sentence with a LOL, it is almost, almost certainly true that you, you basically read at a fifth grade level. Okay. That's sort of what that implies. Now, To answer the question about Craig Carton, no. Craig Carton watched lots of MMA fights. I know this to be true because we watched MMA fights together. He definitely did, but he was a casual fan. He was brought on the show to represent the casual fan's interest as well as to be who he is in the New York area, which is the host of one of the biggest radio shows in sports radio in, frankly, the world, but certainly the country. He hosts a show with Boomer and Esiason called Boomer and Carton, and uh, it's, it's one of the biggest shows anywhere. Um, and he has a certain appeal in that New York area, and they tried to bring that to MMA to varying degrees of success or failure, but that's what that was. (laughs) LOL. As a New Yorker in Boston, who doesn't watch Boston sports? My dates act like Jerry Lewis in that interview. Sorry. As a New Yorker in Boston who doesn't watch Boston sports, my dates act like Jerry Lewis in that interview. Yeah, you know what I love about Boston sports fans is like their complex of how uh, victimized they are. I mean, Pats fans talking about how mistreated they are just need to, I mean, please just go eat some fire. Um, Which fighter had the worst year? Here's some nominees. Uriah Hall, Valerie Letourneau, Rockhold, and Weidman. Probably Weidman. Hall's up there too, I suppose. Who would you favor in a five-round fight at lightweight between Aldo and Ferguson? Tough to say. Probably Ferguson, but Aldo Nurmagomedov. Probably Nurmagomedov, but. Hey, Luke, did you see the ESPN Outside the Lines about weight cutting featuring Chris Cyborg? If so, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I don't think there was a whole lot new there except you saw uh, Andy Foster, the executive director of the California State Athletic Commission, saying he wouldn't even sanction a 135-pound fight with Chris Cyborg in the state. It would never happen. So, you know, you can pour another one out for the Cyborg truthers who, who, who desperately cling to the idea that certainly she could have made 135 despite all evidence suggesting that's probably not true or at least not even the advisable way to go at a, at a bare minimum. Um, and, um, you know, but if people still want to believe that, You've got people coming into my city having read InfoWars and then holding up a pizza joint only to find out that, geez, maybe the things I've been reading are unreliable. Whatever happened to Luke Thomas is pissed. I killed it off personally, Uh, but I might bring something like it back actually. How long can UFC be silent towards Conor McGregor because he has money to retire but doesn't want to, so is it that their leverage? No, I think they'll eventually be forced to act, but it may be a while. Do you think the Buccaneers will get into the playoffs? Certainly hope so. I hope so, Jesus. Well, the Redskins aren't going to get in. But no, I certainly hope not. you eat blueberries? Sometimes. Um, Let's go back to the top here. Why else would Aldo fight for an interim 55 belt if it wasn't to set up a Conor McGregor rematch? Why not just book the rematch? Well, because if they did that, I think uh, Ferguson and Habib would probably want to blow their head off. Um. Hey, curious on what you think of a potential fight between Derek Lewis and Francis Ngannou. People want to see these two guys matched up. I I wonder what the reason is. But nevertheless, I don't know how you guys can't be impressed with uh, Francis Ngannou. I don't know what his weaknesses are, what his liabilities are. We haven't really seen them fully fleshed out yet. But part of me wonders if, like, that guy might actually be championship material down the line because he is frightening. He is super strong. Uh, when he speaks in French media, which I saw a clip of, he seems to be light and jovial. You know, like a really nice guy, and he is terrifyingly powerful, technical to, an, to a degree. Anyway, I mean, there's still some work to be done there, but technical enough where you can at least say this is something he considers an important priority in the way in which he competes. Um, he is a specimen. I don't. I think he would beat a lot of guys. I don't know how far exactly. I don't want to declare things with, you know, certain confidence, but I am. I've, you're asking me, like, what's a guy that could potentially hold a title one day? You know, it's all speculation, but he is certainly at the top of my list. Francis Ngannou is a monster. All right. With that out of the way, um, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to you and yours. One request, well, a couple of them, actually. Please don't drink and drive over the holidays. Just, uh, just catch an Uber or a Lyft or the bus or walk. Stay off the highways. If you've been boozing, get a friend. Please do that. That'd be a great thing. Um, please like this video share it around I always appreciate it when you do you guys are great people and um, enjoy your time over the holidays if you get a lot of gifts great if you don't get a lot of uh, gifts that's also great too. remember virtue is its own reward so um, thank you guys for watching I appreciate it I will talk to you next week and until that time stay frosty